Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully that it is. Hi, this is Terry. Today we have a guest co-host while Bridget is away. You may recognize her voice. She's been a guest on this podcast several times. It is Dr. Anita Sands, and she is a licensed psychologist with more than 25 years experience. Dr. Sands, welcome. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy being a part of Giving Voice to Depression. So today's episode is number 206, Challenging Our Dark Thoughts. And it can be so tempting to give up on finding tools that are going to help us manage our depression, bipolar disorder, or anxiety. And when the meds or therapy or a practice that we try doesn't help or stops helping, and our minds are saying, we're going to feel the way we feel now no matter what we do anyway, it is hard to fight the good fight, such as the nature of depression. Today's guest, Patty, is a great example of why it's worth keeping hope alive because at nearly 70, she is practicing new therapy techniques that are helping her to live a better and mentally healthier life. Patty, who describes herself as 68 years young, was not diagnosed with bipolar disorder until she was in her early 30s, decades after she started experiencing symptoms and asking for help. I remember going to a hospital and telling them the way I was feeling, and they said, we need to admit you into our psychiatry you know, department, psychiatric care, and my family just raging, and no, that won't happen. And, of course, my parents had authority over me. I was 16, I think, at the time, and uh, knew that then things weren't right in my head, and I was feeling like I didn't want to be here, and... Um, really not feeling wanted or worthwhile and knowing, again, something's wrong, something's not right, but not being able to reach out and figure out what it is. And no guidance, because, again, my family was, uh, you know, you're fine, suck it up, get a job, which I did. Patty was only in 10th grade at the time. She dropped out of school and started working in the factory of a record company, an environment that ended up providing cover for her mood swings and coping mechanisms. So I worked my way up and got in the record business for about 30 years. All in between that, having manic episodes, depressions, doing all kinds of drugs, trying to medicate. So I was meeting so-called famous people backstage, um, concerts, you know, really being able to experience that side of life, which is, you know, drugs and rock and roll. In that environment, did you feel or come across as you are putting it, something is wrong, or just like all kinds of fun? 
when you're manic, it's all kinds. You don't get a better high. There's no drug I've ever tried that would give me the high I got after being manic in a true manic state. But it all comes crashing at some point, and it always ends up being I've been strapped to a you know, bed forcibly, and I needed to be because I've been so manic. I, uh, I love everybody. I give everything away. So more than three times in my life, I've given away everything, my money, my clothes, dishes, all my personal, like I, everything. Patty describes both her manic episodes and her depressions as extreme. So there were suicide attempts and, um, uh, you know, 30 years of trying to get a handle on it, different medications. That's always fun going through the different cocktails until you get one that really works for you. While Patty reports with relief that she has been hospitalized for psychiatric care just once in the last 20 years, in the decades before that, she says she was in and out of the hospital a lot. That was probably the worst, and my two kids had to live through that. And I would get manic and take off. When I was depressed, I was at home, and I was in bed, and I was I, I didn't want to live, not even for my kids. I just saw no reason to do anything. I had no motivation. I was deep in the pit of depression. But when I was manic, I had to move. I had to be on the go. So I would get on airplanes and take off for months, and then my family would have to come looking for me. And, uh, yeah, it, it blows my mind right now to think about it and realize some of the stuff I did. And it took me a lot of manic episodes and depressive episodes to learn that I can't go off my meds. been a wild ride, and I know that as fun as I thought it was, it's not the right way to go. It's not a way to keep family. It hurts family. It hurts friends. It hurts your kids. Um, I had to get a handle on it. The way Patty is still doing that is by learning about her illness and herself and realizing that she has more control over both than she'd known or been exercising. And then I started to educate myself, and that's when things started to fall into place for me, when I started to educate and learn about my illness and learn about tools I could use to help me get through it and not react and to stay on my medication, even though there's side effects and I gain weight and, you know, on some stuff I don't, I lose weight because I, I don't, um, I have an appetite, but there's always a side effect to medications. I've been on the same one now for 20 years. Of course, as we have all learned, there is no magic or happy pill. Effective mental health management also requires, among other things, self-awareness a willingness to keep trying to find the things that work for you. And here's a tricky one. The belief that you can and deserve to feel better again. One of the things you have to learn about yourself is when you feel the signs, then what do I do? I start breathing. I go into meditation. I, you know, I go through my my toolbox and I pull out everything I can use to get me through that moment. What are your warning signs 
What 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 do you watch for and then say, uh oh, uh oh, you know, I gotta do something? The first thing I will notice is that I stop sleeping. Uh and I'll go into like two, three days where I'm up and I can't stop. Everything I'm doing things, I can't stop. I'm I could use the word antsy. I feel like uh ants in my pants. I just gotta keep going. Patty describes a clear fork in the road at this point. If she ignores that common warning sign. After two days or three days of not sleeping, then it starts to get into the psychotic thing. And I decide usually the first thing I want to do is shave my head bald and have done that um, a couple of times. And then I want to go. I can't stay. I have to go. So I don't want to go back to that life. And um, I I made a conscious decision, again, learning about myself and my illness, that that's a choice. I can make that choice. And that knowledge gives her options that better protect her mental health, her family, and her relationships. Like, if I don't sleep all night, then that day I will make myself, as hard as it is, stay up until uh, as late as I possibly can, like until 6 or 7 o'clock that next night, so that I have to sleep because eventually your body just crashes. And the same if it's been two days, I know I'm being manic, and my husband and my family are very good about saying, you know what, Mom, like, or Chris, you, or Patty, you've been up two or three days. You know, you, you, you're probably going into a manic attack. And then I may have to see my doctor or look at different medication. I have extra medication I can take if I'm having, like, a, a manic episode. So, But first trigger for me is the sleep issue. That's the first sign. And that also seems to be um, a sign of when I could be either going manic or depressed, which is go to bed for three, four, five days at a time. Like, like I usually end up in the hospital dehydrated because I don't get up to drink or eat. Um, I just get up to, you know, use the washroom and that's it. So that's where my depression takes me. I call it the black hole. Mm, I understand why. Yeah. Because I I have a thought process that tends to go negative. Um, Instead of being, you know, positive patty, I tend to be negative, and especially about myself. The negative thought process. We are all familiar with that. It can be as relatively benign as, what's the point in doing the dishes, to the devastating end of the spectrum which makes us question our self-worth and the value of our very lives. Patty has lived with all those thoughts for most of her life, but recently she learned something that she'd never realized before. I still fight thoughts, negative thoughts, you know, every day, but I, I put them through a test, and if they don't, if they fail the test, then they're gone. Those thoughts, those negative, nagging, you know, right to the heart of your soul thoughts are what changes your mood and then creates that depression. And then you go into your behavior, which is, you know, for me, bad, right? Or if it's going the opposite way, it goes manic. So it's just, you know, connecting those things. And I I had to learn that. 
It took me over six months to understand CBT. You know, I just couldn't put it together. Question my thoughts. No, that's silly. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. What are they talking about? And uh, now it's become my number one tool. Patty learned that tool in a year-long class that taught, among other things, the undeniable connection between our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. It's the basis of CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Patty shares an example of how that skill could have changed the way a situation played out for her when a friend invited her to lunch and then suddenly canceled. The first thing I think, well, see, they didn't want to have lunch with me. You know, I'm not good enough to go to lunch with these. Like, they just, they don't like me. They Like, I just go negative, major negative. I was, like, almost cursing them, saying, that's it, we're not friends, you don't care about me. That is her auto-thought, and it produces deep and dark feelings that lead to behaviors. I did go to bed that day. I just said to Mark, you know, I'm done. Like, he doesn't get supper. That's my husband. Um, I'm gone. You know, nobody cares about me. I don't care about anybody. I'm gone. And then I go into my, my deep depression. So without challenging it, it goes from, I was going to have lunch. She canceled. Nobody likes me. I like nobody. I'm going to bed. That's the, that's the unchallenged uh, route. Right. So when you challenge it and you go through what you've learned from CBT, tell me how in that example it's different. To challenge that, I went, okay, I do, do people care about me? And then I started listing who does. And then that list became like seven, eight, nine, ten. And it was like 12 or 13 people on there. And I was like, okay, well, then that's not true because people do care about me. Right. And then from there, I just, everything that was negative, I had to question it. And you take your, what I call a hot thought and break it into your feelings. I write that down and then that totally makes me feel better and I don't want to go and hide. And the next day? You then you call your friend and you're like, "What well, what happened? Like I missed you." And the friend is like, "I, you know, my mom went in the hospital. I had to go right to the hospital." Oh, I'm so sorry. And then from there, you know, you're back to your relationship again. And I guess one of the things that is part of my makeup and my negative thinking is that I'm always thinking that whatever happened is because of something I did. But it wasn't. The cancellation had absolutely nothing to do with Patty. So her initial thought was faulty, yet it led to unnecessary and bad feelings, which led to behaviors that affected her and her family's whole day and night. And that was just one day and one example. It's hard not to wonder how many times we may have unnecessarily suffered because depression suggested the darkest possible interpretation of a situation. And since it's instinctive and reflexive to think our thoughts are true, we generally accept them. Patty says, don't always. Challenge your thoughts. I didn't know I could. Um, I thought everything was the Bible when it came out of my head. So let's use an example, if you don't mind. And, and if I ever say anything and you're like, yeah, no, Terry, I don't want to answer that. You just say, yeah, no, Terry, I don't want to answer that. There's no obligation. <laughs> no. 
You, know, you can ask me anything. In fact, okay. the type of person I am, I'll probably give you my social insurance, <laughs> my uh, credit card numbers, like whatever you need, passwords. <laughs> That's very funny. Mother's maiden name. Uh, um, so those are examples that are sort of, or at least the, the lunch one is, uh, exterior. Let's talk about when it's one of our very, very familiar thoughts. And it's, you know, there's just no point. There's just no point in life. I had nothing. I have no value. Those kind of thoughts. How would you challenge those and go through that? Well, I go to my thoughts of I have two grandsons that I absolutely adore and think the sun rises just for them. I have like my animals that I'm devoted to. I have a husband and partner in life that is the best for 32 years. I would just start listing all my blessings. And then as I do that, my mood's just going to get better, happier, more grateful, more blessed. Uh, and my behavior becomes, I just want to see those people, be, you know, do for those people. And it keeps me happy. Like it really does when you break it down, take the time um, to look at that. It, it, it's, you can't believe how, how you've, played in your head these negative negative um damaging thoughts it's like i there's a ton uh of tools to learn and if this was the biggest one for me it begins with challenging what you think it's a new skill for patty and it's bringing new hope and new opportunities it has been a journey, but I, I'm happy to say that at this point, at 68, I feel stronger. I feel more motivated. So, I mean, that's great. That just gives me a gift that keeps on giving. Well, Terry, I think it is fabulous that Patty, who is you know, 68 years old, is able to remind all of us that you are never too old to learn something that, you know, could change your life. Um, Even if it was something that you were presented with when you were much younger, and it wasn't very helpful. She's just such a great example of, you know, picking up a technique and trying it again, and seeing great results. I just I absolutely love that. Good. Yeah, different things work for us at different times. And I know that I can even have a really effective tool I use, like getting outside and taking a walk. And then I just stop using it. I just stop. It's like I forget. I forget to journal. I'll have 20 journals that haven't had anything written in them in six months. But then when I do remember it and pick it back up, it helps. I think consistency is is absolutely that missing ingredient um, that we need to add in. And, and it's tough uh, because of what depression does to your memory, to your motivation, to your ability to do anything consistently. Um, so it's another thing I'm really impressed with with Patty is that, she, you know, she may have those those negative thoughts kick in, but for whatever reason, practice or, or reminders maybe that she has around, she goes into the technique that she knows works for her. So she said that one of her early warning signs and one of the things she really has to keep uh, a handle on, a little bit of control over, or a lot of bit of control over is her sleep patterns. And when you and I were talking about bipolar disorder before we started recording, you described it as a circadian rhythm disorder. It is, which means that if you have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you have to guard your sleep as carefully as possible. 
um, changes to um, to anything in your in your environment, which can be stress or you know if you if you're traveling, changing sleep times, time zones, jet lag, those kinds of things all have the potential to cause the kind of disruption that for other people might just you know be an annoyance. But for someone with a, a circadian rhythm disorder like bipolar disorder, it absolutely can destabilize the person. So just knowing what you have and how to manage it, I think makes life a whole lot easier. Just takes a lot of time to figure that out sometimes. It does. And it, it from my experience, it's not just bipolar disorder with, with just depression. I know that if I don't get sleep, I don't have a fighting chance. I think that's true for all of us. I, I just think that for, for any mental health diagnosis, there's just not the there's not the the slack in the rope that you need to be able to manage um, disruptions or or not getting enough sleep or nutrition or some joyful activity and managing your stress. Other people can sort of bounce back a little bit faster from that, but um, for a nervous system that is um, is just functioning differently, you just have to be more on top of those those big four things that help us to keep us uh, us healthy and functioning and happy. Can you repeat the big four? Yes. <laughs> um, sleep, nutrition, joyful activity, and stress management. If we make sure every day we're doing something, so it can be very small, but something positive and healthy in, in each of those four areas and not letting any of those areas get completely wonky, just to the best of our ability, of course. But those big four are the things that keep us mentally and physically healthy and functioning and just a whole lot happier. We will be back next week. You will be too. So thank you again. And we're going to be talking to a cognitive behavioral therapist. And we're going to just do a little bit deeper dive into this therapy. And the more we know about, the more options we have. Bye, Dr. Sands. Thank you for stepping in. Terry, thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy talking with you. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up. <laughs>